All right, it's been about a week and a half since our last edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Glad to have you with us. We've got John Hadley. We've got Tim Woodburn. I'm Chris Kerber as the St. Louis Blues have wrapped up their marathon seven-game series with the Arizona Coyotes. And rather than just give you an episode last week with three more games to go between these two teams, we figured we'd wait and see what the end of the seven games look like. We've got a terrific, terrific whiskey to tell you about. It's actually related to a gangster story, so we'll tell you about that as we go along. We've got a barn burner story that's going to make you shake your head at the level of stupidity on this one as well. Fellas, another week or so of St. Louis Blues hockey are done. Uh, how you doing? You ready to go this week? I am ready. I am ready. ready. I looked. It's funny to look at the the calendar box schedule on the Blues portion of NHL.com, and I had to laugh out loud. Today, February the sixteenth, and the Blues have only played one team this month. Isn't that funny? It's really amazing how it worked. Now, look, you got to give credit. Let's first off, let's do this. I'm going to give some serious credit where credit is due here. The way it worked out with the way the schedules for the Blues and the Coyotes was supposed to be, and I know it's less than ideal, and it turned out, it turned out to be far less than ideal for the St. Louis Blues than it should have been, and we'll get into that in just a moment here, plus some other aspects of the Coyotes now after seven games that are driving me nuts, but I will say this. The fact that the Blues, the Coyotes, and the National Hockey League realized the opportunity in the schedule to continue playing these games, to take away games that would have been played in March or April, and to play them in a window that you had now was 1,000% the right thing to do with the way things are going. I mean, heck, it's a COVID season, and we've got games in Dallas being postponed now because of weather. I mean, it's just a, still one of those crazy seasons. So far from ideal, but smart on all parts to get it done this way. Yeah, I, I, I mean, my my take on this hasn't changed since the start of the season, since we started doing the show. It's just the way of life. I mean, it just is what it is. And literally, I see game canceled, I go on. Yesterday, I had Dallas as one of my best bets uh, for the radio station. I go to look for the result. Huh, why can't I find the score? Scroll down, game canceled. Oh, COVID. Never gave a second thought. I mean, it, it actually wasn't COVID. It was it was canceled because of. I mean, weather. The weather. Yeah. Right. But but I mean, it, 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 and it, the the fact of the matter is, it is. I mean, the the world is what it is right now. I mean, I I, I know that I hack everybody off. I hack you guys off. I hack the radio station off. But it's just it, spending any time on this topic is useless because I'm just impressed that they've gotten as far as they have in virtually all sports with everything that is, that is going on. I mean, it's, the it's hoop, really sort of amazing. The hoop well, it'll jumping. Be, it'll be they, an important, go ahead, Tim. It'll be an important conversation though, John, like in April when, when the playoffs are approaching similar to the Cardinals who didn't play two games and the, the major league baseball announced they would seed teams based on winning percentage. You know, the New Jersey Devils have played nine games this year, and Vancouver's played 19 to lead the league. I mean, that's the disparity in, in most and the fewest. So when when and if, you know, a team like New Jersey or whoever gets hit next, you know, finishes with 40, 45 games played versus the, you know, 56 everybody else is going to play, there's going to be uh, a lot of emotions come from a lot of different teams with regard to who deserves to get in the playoffs and who doesn't. Because they're not going to well, expand the playoffs well, this year. if we get there, then we can discuss it. Right. That's because, it, because when it came to the Cardinals, it was a topic of discussion for no reason because it rectified itself. Well, here's what it and is going to do. But, but this, is where, this is where it is a topic, okay? Because the, the flexibility of the Coyotes and the Blues, along with the league, to figure out this window and to make it happen, where instead of not playing, they have played now seven of their eight head-to-head meetings. What it's done is it has taken a couple of games off the schedule for March and April, and it's also given them the flexibility then to reschedule the Minnesota games, a Vegas game, and to adjust the schedule around. Where If you're the St. Louis Blues and if, you, and if you're the Arizona Coyotes, and knock on wood, if you're fortunate that you do not have a long stretch off like Colorado or Minnesota did, 
What you have just done is given yourself a schedule advantage where you don't have to try to cram those games in later, and you've actually given yourself schedule flexibility for later. Now, the league came out today, and and it's we're not going to go through it here on the podcast, but just go to stlouisblues.com, and you'll be able to figure out when some of those rescheduled games are going to get played. But the reality of it is it was a smart move to take advantage of an open in the scheduling, and, and it works well not only for the league because you continue to play games, but it also builds in flexibility for the team. And, and if one team or the other had said, no, we're not going to do it this way, the league said, no, we can't do it the way, it would have been a missed opportunity. Now, speaking of missed opportunities, let's get into this. This was a missed opportunity for the St. Louis Blues to really put some points on the board against the Arizona Coyotes. And I realize when I say that, I'm not necessarily giving the Arizona Coyotes their due, but the reality remains this. Through seven games, there was one line for the Coyotes that the Blues could not figure out how to solve, and it is because of that that they end up losing four of the seven games. It is simply because they could not figure out that Garland-Keller-Schmaltz line. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, once again, St. Louis representing in that situation. Uh, hey, this uh, this this Blues team is a huge, huge enigma. It really is. I mean, any way you cut the mustard, any way you want to try to present this thing, this team is a huge enigma. If nothing else... They didn't embarrass themselves. They win two games, and they played a game that they could have very easily won last night. So, or, or on uh, Monday night. So, I, it's it, what happened in Arizona. I'm finally, I'm, I'm content with the way they played in Arizona. Will lead to a playoff loss. So, I'm content with with the results, but I'm also a real realist enough to realize that in watching these teams around the league with regularity. Uh, this is not a this is not a team that right now is playing Stanley Cup contending hockey. It's just that so. And you look at their schedule now that we're done with Arizona. Um, I, I guess the positive PR spin on it is that you have the next ten games against teams with a losing record. And I say that with the caveat that when you began the series with Arizona, they had a losing record. So uh, Los Angeles and San Jose, who the Blues will see a ton of in the next two weeks. Both teams are clearly struggling. San Jose much more than Los Angeles. And, you know, John professed this uh, over and over again, both uh, on radio and occasionally on this podcast, if I, as I've heard him, you know, you got to beat the teams that are down when they're down. And and that'll be a huge part of whether or not the Blues can skate with the creme de la creme, the Vegas is of the world in this division, or if they're going to be a, a three or a four seed come the end of the regular season. It's one of those. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, it's one of those situations where they got to prove it. I mean, they they didn't prove it in this. And actually, like, and John's right. The the inconsistencies <laughs> off the bat here are the ones that, that that raise you. You see a game, you're going, okay, they're building something, and then you see a stinker, and then you see a game, they're building something, and then something's not quite right. You know, uh, they're. You're seeing a power play that's starting to generate a lot more shots now. The goals haven't come. They did get power play goals in two in a row, but honestly, like. And, and, and I guess we have to – here's the question. Let, let me throw this question at you. Fair or unfair expectations for this group? Is it fair to expect that this group, when they get a, a power play early in the game and they score a power play goal, that when they need that power play goal late, they can get another one? Or are you just okay with a team going one for three or one for four in a game? You know, like – there, to me, what is missing right now, whether it be special team something, it is a little bit of that cohesive killer instinct, and there's just not enough consistency lineup to lineup to get you that instinct every single game yet. Well, they're not they're not drawing many penalties. You know, they've only had they've had 50 power plays this year, and they've had 65 penalty kills through 16 games. That's an average of about one more penalty kill per game than power play. They're they're not doing enough to draw enough penalties. Or if you listen to Coach Berube after the game last night, they're not getting the calls that they should be getting. I don't want to cry on officiating here, but it's, you know, you you come across as a whiner when you have a losing record and you blame it on the officials. But when you have a winning record and you're still complaining about the officiating, 
I, I think there's cause at least to have a conversation about it because it has been unbelievably inconsistent to me, more so really than than any of recent years with regard to even in game calls being made and not being made. It's uh, it's really been uh, continually. I, I continuously shake my head almost every game. At. Yeah, I know, well, and, and Tim, I don't, I don't disagree with you because, and I could go on for an entire podcast about officiating right now. Okay, like I, I fail to understand that Ryan O'Reilly interference penalty. Okay, but the other ones that the Blues ended up taking on on that day, this is why Baruby didn't argue those. The high sticking, the things, yeah, you can you can justify them. It's been inconsistent, but you bring up a larger point, and John, you you have to play the game a certain way to draw the calls. You know, and and when the, when the other team is you know spinning circles around you with that small line but speedy line that we just talked about Keller Schmaltz and and Garland and you can't catch them, they put you in a position to take the hooks and the things like that. And um, I, I just I, I just think at some point in time there there's a there's a competitive juice that has to still find its fire here for this hockey team and. And there are too many games where we're seeing some players with it and other players not having enough of it. Yeah, and I mean, there 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 are simple numbers in this day of abstract stats. There are simple numbers that, that tell the truth. The Blues are one of, I believe, three teams in the league with a power play percentage less than fourteen and a penalty kill less than seventy five. So. You know, obviously, special teams play into this, especially in close games. So, I mean, I, I understand Baruby's frustration with that, but you know, it, you put your you, you your team is you, you can continue to put yourself in a bad situation. I mean, five on five right now, I'll still take uh, uh, Bennington any day of the week against any goalie in this league. Five on five, any day of the week. Just seems to be opportunities on the power play that that people just get better looks, they just get better opportunities, and then I, I just can't recall. I've seen Blues teams that were sloppier overall, but for the talent on this team, and Curbs, you're the broadcaster. You've seen every game live. Well, until now, you've seen every game. I mean, I, I, I just can't recall a team that consistently gives up the puck for great opportunities like this team does. So I mean, what, what, what at least four or five times a day, uh, four or five times a game, it seems like they're just handing the opposition glorious opportunities. So Mark Savard was the coach that coordinated the power play last year when the Blues were in the elite in the NHL. He's now gone. Jim Montgomery takes over that role. Is he doing anything different than Mark Savard? Is, is his I, I realize you got a new guy in Krug who's going to play a lot of power the time, and Petrangle's not there, so you've got different mechanisms. But 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 as a system, you know, teams play a system. As a system in general, is the power play the same power play it was last year? Uh, well, no, it's not. And one of the issues that they've had, and the players are actually playing a role in helping this along, is you had David Perron, who had gotten very used to passing that puck to Alex Petrangelo in certain situations. Okay, and and so David Perron, you know, really got used to handling things and, and passing it to a guy with a right-handed shot. You know, now now it goes the other way around, and and he and he's trying to. He actually went to the coaching staff, you know, and said, "Hey, listen, what about this change here?" Like, and and what David so and David talked to us about this a bit. He's really like kind of what his philosophy is. There's play options to him when he's coming off that right side, goes to the top of the circle, whether he shoots it, passes it down low to O'Reilly, or spins it back up to the blue line for a one-timer. But if it's a left-handed shot at the blue line, it takes one of those out, plus he's got to get it a different angle to put the puck in a different spot. And, uh, and it changes things. So, yeah, there are some technical things that are different, but there's still enough skill that, that that needs to be figured out. And guys, I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't worry so much about the power play. If, if there's any worry it's on the, on the power play, it's that I think there's probably, I, I would say, and I'll keep this conservative so it's realistic, I think a, a better power play wins you two more games than you have this year. 
All right, so to me, whether it be winning one of the games that went to overtime or winning a game you lost, let's say three or four points better you are uh, at, at, at a conservative estimate with a better power play. Now, your penalty killing, if that was better, and penalty killing was really good on Monday. It got much better in the last three games of this series against Arizona. The penalty killing, if that's better... You're going to win even more games. I, if you give if you give me a choice any day of the week, would you rather have a good penalty kill or a good power play? I'm taking the good penalty kill any day of the week. Any day of well, the week. And, it's, and, and that goes back to the original point you were trying to make with this segment when it comes to consistency. Even, even, even during the times when this organization scuffled. I mean, how many times can you say that you've had a overall – uh, subpar effort with both units having played nearly a third of the season. The Blues, I mean, that's you know, that's the other thing that you have to keep in mind here is that the Blues have played nearly a third of the season. Well, I mean, that's, that's, right. that's a, you know, that's the scary aspect of things. It's not like, uh, you know, oh, hell, we got 65 games more. No, you don't. You don't have 65, 66 games to go. Well, I mean, I wonder how many times in St. Louis Blues history has a Blues team at any point in the season gone worse than six for 50 on the power play. I mean, I, I realize you want a, 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 if you can have your druthers, you're probably going to want a better penalty kill than power play in the playoffs if you had to pick one of the two. But the two combined still percentages have to be uh, at 100% or more for you to be an elite team. And right now the Blues power play is 12 and their penalty kill is 74, so that adds up to 86, and that falls way short of of what an elite team should expect from their from their special teams. Some coaches believe well, uh, to, some coaches take it even further. They, they they believe that if you want to be considered a really good special teams, you got to take that combination past 105. Wow. Well, even that makes that makes the argument even more powerful. It does. Hey, let me change it to this one, guys. Now. So injuries are starting to mount for the team a little bit. Tory Krug doesn't finish the game on Monday. Um, Robert Thomas is out for another five weeks, at least after this. Still, we don't have um, Tarasenko ready to go. Uh, no update yet on on uh, Tyler Bozak. So there are some key pieces out. Now, when somebody leaves, that's opportunity for others. A week ago when we did the show and we did the podcast, you know, Sammy Blay being injured as well right now uh, as well. Okay, so... We talked about the fact that you had a game where Mackenzie McEachern and Sammy B. Blay played, and it was in as benign a nine minutes as you're going to play, where you didn't notice physicality, but you definitely didn't see anything on the score sheet. Now, Mackenzie McEachern in the second game plays much better, gets an assist, and this isn't necessarily about getting points for, for these guys that are coming into the lineup, but it is about where you're going to make an impact. Well, when we talk about the way those three games went in the desert, Jacob De La Rose played pretty solid at center. Mackenzie McEachern was good on one side. Clifford was good on the other. That checking line got some opportunities and created an identity by going up and down the ice. They seemed to be a difference maker. The Blues had a chance because, obviously, of the injury that they were able to put Austin Paganski in the lineup. Okay, so Schwartz goes out. They move Hoffman up. I mean, that's deep when you're able to put a 30-goal score from your third line to your second line, and that paid dividends in that middle game of those three. But then you're able to put Oskin Pagansky in. Played an okay game. He played all right. You know, nothing great. The reality of it is, is at some point in time, the depth of the Blues from a forward standpoint, and this may be where we end up with a bit of a hole, is is there anything more than a checking line upside to Blay, Pagansky, McEachern, and I'm going to throw this guy in there because there's a chance you could see him before the end of the year, Clem Costin. Now, Costin's playing over in Europe right now. He's playing in the KHL. The KHL season ends at the end of this month, February 27th, right? And then and then the playoff scenario start, and I couldn't tell you where his team sat right now in terms of a playoff standpoint. But then if he comes back over, you know, where it fits in. I, I'm just... Right now, I'm just wondering who, from a Blues youth standpoint, has an opportunity to step up and find and fill a little bit of an offensive role, kind of like, for example, Ivan Barbashev is doing right now, finally getting a chance to be promoted and onto that top line, and he's played three really good games up there. You know, that, that to me, guys, is where this gap is going to come for the St. Louis Blues. They, they get, well, there's some answers. Right there. 
it's interesting that you mentioned the name. Again, you know better than we do. You've seen him practice much more. The little bit of a glimpse that I've got from Costin leads me to believe he's a player. Now, does that mean he's a three, a two, or a one? I don't know, but I think he's a. I think he has the potential to be a top nine forward in this league. And if there is one forward that I'm thinking to myself, all right, until this team's a hundred, who could not only create opportunity and be productive, but bring some life to this team? I think Costin is the name. Well. Certainly, when you look at the Utica Comets roster, who the Blues are sharing with Vancouver and the American Hockey League, there's there's nobody on that roster that was with the Blues in their camp that really sticks out as, as a guy that you say, hey, here's a guy you can plug in and at least rely on for 10 minutes a game. I mean, it's, they're, they're all either real young or they haven't been very productive at the AHL level in previous years. And so uh, you kinda, you're going to have to kind of go uh, to the dance with the, with the girl that got you there. And, and I, don't, I don't really see a whole lot of options for them. Uh, other than to, to play with what they have and, and not have a lot on reserve. I mean, there's, there's, there's guys in Utica like, you know, Nolan Stevens and Hugh McGing and, you know, guys that are, that are small or that are young or both. Um, I, don't know that, uh, I don't know that any of those is, uh, is, uh, is palatable, to use that word for the second time in this podcast, uh, to this team's roster right now. Well, I know, I know the Blues got shut out on Monday, but the reality of it is goal scoring truly has not been a problem. And if that power play starts to click at all at one, I mean, the, the Blues 5-on-5 five five are, are a top three team in the National Hockey League. Not even just 5-on-5, five five, even strength. The Blues' even strength are a top three team in the National Hockey League in goals scored and goal differential. You know, so so that's a positive. So it's not like we're 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 not making an issue out of something that is immediate. But I do wonder just at what at, at what point in time, and I haven't seen it, guys. I haven't. I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I, I, I and maybe this is unfair. All right, but I'm going to compare this scenario to Oscar Sundquist and Ivan Barbashev. I'll compare it to two other guys from a couple of years ago in Colton Pareko and Joel Edmondson. Okay, the Blues are opening camp. They are slated to have, if if everything is equal, Robert Bortuzzo and Carl Gunnarsson as number five and number six defensemen either way, right? Well, in camp, Joel Edmondson and Colton Pareko come in. Now, this is five, six years ago. They're going into their rookie season in the NHL, and those two guys were so impactful, they unseated the two previous guys I just mentioned. Right? And look at, at what's happened and where they went from there. All right? Now, you've got two guys that come in. You acquire Oscar Sundquist in a trade. First year, not very good. That doesn't surprise the Blues because of, of the scouting that they did. The second year, the Blues are starting off horrific that year. That's that's 2019. All right? And, and there's even discussions, maybe, do you send them down? What do you do with them? You know, and that's the year that Sidney Crosby looked at Joe Vitale and said, I am so bummed out that we traded that guy. You guys are going to love him. And look what Sunquist has become. Pretty much the head of the snake and an engine of this hockey team. From that standpoint, Ivan Barbashev. In the minor leagues his first year, bad coaching gets put in between two East Coast hockey leaguers. He's scratched. Then he gets Craig Berube as his coach with the Chicago Wolves and starts to turn him into a pro player. Look at the identity that those guys have put together for the last few years. Don't forget, a couple years back when the St. Louis Blues upset the, the Minnesota Wild in the first round of the playoffs, that great series by Jake Allen. It was Ivan Barbashev that through the first five games was centering your top line while Paul Stastny was out. I'm looking at this young crop yet, and I haven't seen enough that tells me consistently that whether it be a Blay, whether it be, and, and Zach Sanford, maybe, maybe, but he's, I still think he has to be harder on the puck, but I haven't seen anything from the other guys that says you're taking the path in the route where you can fill some other roles in this lineup yet. And so that's, I, 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 I get frustrated sometimes when you just don't see opportunity and somebody grab a hold of it, you know? Oh, I, I, I'm starting to feel that way with Nico Mikula. No, 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 no. Really? Yeah. Dude, yeah. this I mean, guy dude, just I'm, played I'm, five I'm, really I'm, good I'm, games. This this dude's going to be a player, John. Oh, there's no question. Curves, I have a tendency to be much tougher on guys. That's why Zach Sanford, to me, 
has been, continues to be a deplorable disappointment. Because you don't, you don't, you cannot expect someone to perform above the ability that they're given over a period of time. In short bursts, sure. Zach Sanford has the size and the athleticism and the natural skill to be a factor in this league. He rarely is, and he continues to be a disappointment. See, everyone, everyone seems to be content with Mika being a five or six. I think this guy's a three. I think this guy's going to be a three in this league. I think this guy, you know, you keep hearing about privilege until he gets hurt. I think this Mikola guy could be a three in time. Well, don't you get, but you've got to give him the time. You've got to give him the time, and he's got to have the opportunity. He's been given an opportunity recently. Well, well, no, he was, and I thought, I mean, Tim, I don't know where you're at on this one, but I, I thought Mikola played pretty well. Now, what they did is they took a young guy, they took him out of the lineup again. They said, okay, we got a few things we want you to work on, but I think what they're doing is continued development here. I've got no problem with what either we've seen or the coachability or the way the team is currently handling Nico Mikola. He's been, he's been, he's been decent. I mean, I don't, th- I don't think he's really been outstanding i don't think he's been a liability i mean i i think he's, he's played decently when they put him in there they haven't i don't think they put him in a, a lot of high pressure situations against other teams top units for the most part except for when uh, he's on the pk um you know he's made some mistakes as, as any young guy will but uh you know he's i'll tell you what for as big as he is you know they're like like john was just talking about zach stanford who's a taller guy he he has sort of an awkward, gangly way about him when he skates. It's, it's a lot of it's a lot of knees and elbows kind of going sideways when he moves. But Mikola, who's an inch or two taller than him, a, a completely different style of skater, a, a completely different way that he glides and 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 sort of dances on the ice and the, and the, the way he moves his feet. Uh, it's 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 two complete different styles of skaters. And I realize they play two different positions, but but I'm just comparing size and 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 ability, and I agree with John. When when you see somebody that big dance around like a gazelle that quick and that smooth, you know that that, that says something special in the making. John, to your I point, mean, if, if, if if you, if, I mean that's uh, again, I haven't given up on this team by any. My frustration comes with the fact that I still believe it. But I mean, if you did, if this Perunovic guy, if I'm saying his name correctly, yep. If this guy is who they're telling us he is, and there's there, there's been some guys in this league that have made statements to lead you to believe that this kid's a legit prospect, you take a look at this group between Krug, Falk, Pareko, Perinovic, Mikola, over, an, o, o, over the next four or five years, how many teams in this league are looking at a better top five defenseman and what the Blues might have on hand here moving forward. I noticed you left out Vince Dunn. Well, I just don't see I don't see how what. the long-term fit is there right now. Like you have to have a younger guy come in because he's going to Vince Dunn is going to play himself out of affordability, which is a good thing for Vince by the way. I mean, I'm saying this on a positive side for Vince. But but well, actually, let me throw this at you based on that. Vin, Vince Dunn and and Zach Sanford are in some ways dealing with the same situation here, okay? There there has been opportunity. They have been given opportunity further up in the lineup and consistently haven't been able to stay in there and force the coaches to keep them there, if that makes sense. And that, to me, is more what you're talking about, isn't it, John? Yeah, exactly. No question. Absolutely no question. I mean, curbs. Is it, do the Blues have a bigger forward than Zach Sanford? No, no. I mean, how can you how can you have God given skill, agility? I've never I've never heard anyone knock his skating and size and be so invisible. Not only for extended periods of time, but for an entire game. I mean, I'm not. I, 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 me, me continually broaching the topic of Sanford is just scratching my head, thinking to myself, "Well, if Barubi can't get to this kid, because everybody tells me that Barubi's a Sanford guy, and I understand why Barubi's a Sanford guy, 
I understand if the Blues want to get rid of Stanford, somebody's going to take them because every coach or GM can see what everyone else sees and believe they're going to get something different out of the game. I'm going to tell you right now. When done, when done is in big situations, Curbs, he gets exposed. In my humble opinion, he gets exposed. If you ask me today, and so I appreciate you asking me this, John. If you ask me today, right, if I had to put a protected list in for the expansion draft, all right, and and for, for the sake of discussion here, I'm just going to say that, that you don't have to worry about protecting your unrestricted free agents because you hope they'll re-sign here, okay? But if if the choice came down to me having to protect Ivan Barbashev versus one of the other guys we're talking about, I'm protecting Ivan Barbashev because you know exactly what you're getting. You know what he's bringing to the table, and you know what you can do up and down the lineup with him. Plus, you also know that he's not going to be a guy that's going to necessarily then burn you at the bank in some way, shape, or form. The issue is, and this kind of goes back to the original point on this topic, okay? When you have to take Zach Sanford out of the top six, when you don't have Sammy Blay available, or you're not playing him in a top six role, you obviously you have Barbashev here, but you don't have many other options to fill that role. You know, now, this this is a totally different scenario if you're able to get healthy and you end up bringing, you know, and Tarasenko can get back in there. But guys, there, there's a lot of ifs that play in that. Right now, you got to deal with the hands that you're dealt with, and that's an injury-plagued team. And again, I'll just go back to a simple statement. What an opportunity for somebody to steal a moment. And if you're Sanford, if you're Blay, if you're Pagansky, if you're McEachern, if you're De La Rose, if you're any one of those guys, you have an opportunity to make a difference on a way that even if there's not lineup future in terms of ways to move up here in St. Louis, good Lord, can you put yourself on the map with the Seattle Kraken or another team? That That's no that's the attitude that I, I just, that's the attitude I think we need to see more of. No question. Now I'll ask this to you, Tim, because I don't want to put curves in a compromising position being uh, the broadcaster for the team. Who's the weakest defensive forward for the St. Louis Blues? Ah, that's an excellent question. Um, And I guess it would have to depend on what you define as as weakness, as in a guy that you wouldn't put on the PK at all, ever. Um, Correct. And that would, to me, that's Stanford. Well, Well, he's done pretty decent on it. It's hard to argue against that. You know, he's 6'3", or is he 6'3", or 6'4", Curves? Yeah, I know him and Sunkvist are right there neck and neck for the, yeah. the tallest forward on the team. He he just he doesn't have you know for a big man you expect you know big man hits, big man crunches, and he just doesn't play that style. And he doesn't have quick enough hands to be uh, a, a remarkable playmaker off the rush. Every everything is just everything is just a, a you know a, if, if you're driving a, a five speed, he, it's just it's just one speed slower or or less quick for lack of a better word, than some of the other elite, you know, offensive players on this team. He is, uh, but, you know, with the injuries being what they are, he's still going to play. <laughs> he's still going to play uh, 17, 18 shifts a game uh, and, and, and get those close to 20 minutes a game as long as the Blaze and the Bozaks and, and, the, and the other injured forwards on this team, you know, Schwartz, continue to not be in the lineup. I mean, the Blues had three guys in the lineup last night that did not play on opening night at both. Right. And, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I don't know that, you, that, that he's awful defensively. I, I, I certainly wouldn't rank him among the best of the team defensively, but you know, you got to realize, you know, this team is still in second place. They've got the 10th best record in the league, despite the pathetic power play that they've had, even the effort last night, they only allowed 19 shots. Baruby even said, uh, after the game, he thought everyone showed uh, great competitiveness and, and gave a good effort. You know, it was just a, it was just a game where they couldn't get a bounce to go their way. Guys, I'm going to tell you this. And, so, and, and, and the Blues have, and, and real quick, the Blues haven't had a meltdown where to the to the epic proportions that the, like the Toronto Maple Leafs had last night, blowing a five one lead to the worst team in the league, Ottawa, and losing in overtime. You know, the Blues haven't had a meltdown other than the eight nothing game in Colorado, which which I'll I'll throw that out as the joke. All right, thank you. I was, I was gonna I was gonna well, say what's eight nothing. Well, a mel- a, I mean a meltdown where like you know they 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 blow a huge lead. I mean that they had one game in which they just did not show African competitiveness. That's it. Out of sixteen, well, you know, it's the third of the season. You know, the, 
There's a couple things. I think I think it's okay and I think it's perfectly fair and legit to look at some of the weaknesses of this team and wonder how that's going to pan out. And that's really what we've we've just been doing. But to your point, Tim, where the Blues are right now, the other thing that they're doing, and, and you really feel this, they are building something. Um, and that that you can feel. They are building something. And it's a, uh, this feels like 2019 from this standpoint. And I realize when I say it feels like that year, I, I know what I'm comparing it to, but this feels like a team that is not playing up to the potential yet and something has to click to do that. What makes you, what gives you a little angst as a Blues fan is, is that true or are they playing to their potential? And that we just don't know yet. But I do think that I do think that this season, maybe more than the last couple, based on what we've seen through 16 games, I do think that the Blues could possibly kick tires around the National Hockey League and see what's available from a trade standpoint to improve this team. Maybe more so this year than, than the last couple, based on what we've seen. I, you know, now this is going to feel a lot different if we see a few more regular games against Las Vegas and against Colorado, and we see how competitive and what those games are like. So, this is it's a it's a fascinating aspect to look at this one sixteen games in. Well, and that's that it's you you put it in a nutshell very nicely because that's what I am continuing to sort of hold on to instead of. Is jumping overboard with this team at this point is that again, as Tim said, there was that blowout against Colorado, but also that first game and a very competitive game against Vegas. I mean, the better teams, the Blues have played better hockey against. You know, they're they're either five hundred or sub five hundred uh, against teams that have fewer than fifty uh, percent of their available points in Anaheim, San Jose, Los Angeles. And well, now I can't count Arizona thanks to the blues, but I mean, it's to play against those weaker teams. that has me scratching my head. Blues won mano a mano in Vegas. And I didn't walk away thinking to myself, Oh, Vegas is so much better. Blues have no chance. I didn't walk away in Colorado thinking to myself, Oh, Colorado is so much better. The blues have no chance. Uh, the Blues were healthy at that point, but you think, knock on wood, they'll be healthy again. So, yeah, I. You know I what's too... you know what's disturbing though, yeah, John. You know what, Tim? I'll, I'll I'll lob this at you. What is what I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around is I look like. I look at the St. Louis Blues and I do a ton of interviews and people ask, what about this guy? What about this guy? What about that guy's potential? I don't know what the hell a guy's potential is. I, I don't know. You know, but but we see the Blues go through growing pains and we're, and we're hanging it on because logically it makes sense to say, well, there's some personnel changes, right? I don't see it slowing down the Boston Bruins or the Tampa Bay Lightning right now. Right? I didn't see the bubble situation way on the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Dallas Stars to the point that they they, they they lose to a team. Like everybody in Canada right now, especially in the in the West, they're like they're all distraught over the Vancouver Canucks. I know okay, give a little credit where it's due. The Canucks beat the Blues. I'm, the Blues lost that series to me more than the Canucks won that series in August, okay? And, and and so I think it gave a little false sense of where Vancouver truly was as a team, you know, than uh, than than where they really are. But I like I just some of that some of that mental swagger and next guy up mentality that we saw in the second half of 2019, we're not seeing right now with this team. And we're seeing no. we're seeing some guys like Braden Shen. I think he's at it, and I know he's Braden's had a kind of a, a quiet last three games. And sometimes it's going to go that way in a series like this. Make no mistake about it; they started keying in on that Kairu Shen line and stuff. So I'm I'm okay with that. We'll see what happens now in these next few games if that line breaks out again. And obviously Schwartz not being there, they've got Mike Hoffman who's still trying to figure it out. But to me, that there's a like some of these other teams aren't having that issue. I mean, Krug and Chara go, and look what Boston's been doing. Well, the difference between, in my opinion, 
the St. Louis Blues this year versus the St. Louis Blues last year that was a one seed in the Western Conference when the season was shut down and was the Stanley Cup champions the year before, is that night in, night out, I don't see stretches, and I mean extended periods of time, in which the Blues are cycling the offensive zone and wearing teams down. The team last year did it all the time. The team, after Bennington arrived in January and they became the best team in the world in the second half of the season, did it all the time. I don't see this team doing that. I, I've been really surprised, you know, that the Blues, you know, the Blues scored 52 goals this year. How many of them have been on, on the rush or on a, on a, on a, within 10 seconds of entering the zone? A ton of them. They are not wearing anybody down any, any, at any time. They, they're, they're not. You don't say, "Wow, boy, that line was dominant during that shift." You just, you just don't hear Chris Kerber and John Kelly saying those things when you listen and watch this team. You don't see it and you don't hear it. What yeah. about Tim Woodburn doing uh, the play-by-play at home? Do I hear it then? <laughs> I don't do that. I scare my dogs. They start barking when I do that. Uh, I start uh, hey, I got. Um, well, we'll see what happens with, with, with the upcoming schedule. We'll go through that. I want to let me jump into the National Hockey League on, on a topic I want to hear from you guys on. And uh, you know, this, this happened over the last week or so. Um, so you know, a week a, a week ago, you get Patrick Liney that's benched by the by John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets. All right, and and it turns out, I guess the reason was was he came back to the bench and disrespected a coach and you, you, and uh, one of the assistant coaches with what he said. And John Tortorella sat him. And and for that, you say bully for for John Tortorella. I mean, he, he's going to stand his ground. Now it happens in his third, you know, in Liney's third or fourth game with the Blue Jackets, and you know, so it's that's tough. But like at some point in time. I really wonder when I see when I see the Blue Jackets and you see guys like Anderson leave now. Bobrovsky chose to leave, and and the the Columbus Blue Jackets would have been foolish to give Bobrovsky the contract Florida gave him. Um, uh, you see, Patrick um, Artemi Panarin went out, um, and that again an individual situation wanted it wanted a different market. But you see these things, and you start to wonder how much of individual individual situations like the Pierre-Luc Dubois type of stuff eventually comes down to a team philosophy, a coach, whatever. Just And I know we're on the outside looking in. We, we don't have the inside dope on exactly what's going on and what it's all like. But it, it just seems like it's getting harder and harder for the Blue Jackets to stay afloat in the Tortorella way right now in the National Hockey League. And and it's getting to be more of a challenge for them. And I'm not sure what the answer is. I'll share, and, and I'll, I'll preface it with this quick story. Before the Tampa Bay Lightning won their cup back in 2004, issues were growing between Vincent LeCavalier and John Tortorella. Jay Feaster was the general manager. Jay Feaster held a meeting with Tortorella, LeCavalier, and himself and said, this is it. Uh, Vinny, you're not going anywhere. John, you're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. We're either going to come together and steer this ship and win a Stanley Cup, or this thing's going to sink. And they found a way to get it done. They go on eventually to win a Stanley Cup. I- I'm just wondering what it's going to take uh, in Columbus there. It's a it's a competitive team. It's just a team that I wonder if they actually could be better. Uh, I refuse to talk about Columbus because if I talk about Columbus, I'm going to have to talk about them being behind the Blackhawks. And I'm not going to talk about the Blackhawks because of previous comments. So this is your question, Tim. You mean, you mean, you mean one of the hottest teams in the National Hockey League, those Chicago Blackhawks? I have no idea what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> Six, two, and two in their last ten. Those what, Chicago yeah, Blackhawks? And, but what are, what's you Chicago know, getting now that none of us expected them to get? And, again, this is sometimes when we all got to keep it. Yeah, goaltending. Sometimes we just got to keep in mind that some teams know their own personnel better than others. Well, but I'm not even sure Chicago you, predicted this. You know, you brought up Vancouver in your comments earlier, Curb. You know, the Vancouver Canucks out goaltended the St. Louis Blues in the playoffs last year. Where is that going now? Not in Vancouver. Where is Vancouver now? Not in a playoff race but with a losing record and with with their defensemen having, I think, the worst with Quinn Hughes. I think having, if not the worst, one of the worst plus minuses in the league. Um, you know, goaltending says it all. And and John Hadley earlier in this broadcast talked about Jordan Binks, and we don't talk about him enough. His goals against average is down to 2.37. Where would this team be without him? Oh. Out of a playoff spot. I will, I, will, I, will, 
I will say this much, being a hockey freak and now being single at an advanced age, uh, I have seen a lot of the Blackhawks, and that kid from Finland has been spectacular at times. Just spectacular at times in the Nets for Chicago. Hey, 16 games in, for everybody that was griping about the Blues being in the West and didn't want to listen to the reasons or was worried about late-night start times and all this other, all the other stuff that goes with it, aren't you right now, fellas, kind of happy the Blues are in the West? That central division as that central division is muck it up. That there's going to be some teams that expected to make the playoffs that are not going to make the playoffs in that central division. Oh yeah, no, that's you're you're 100 correct. I mean that's 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 going to be well. I don't know. I I I hold my tongue, but I, I'll tell you this much right now when. When the season started, I thought for sure that Dallas was going to be a was going to be a final eight team. I don't know that Dallas will make the playoffs right now. To be honest with you, with the way they're playing now, once they get healthy and everything else, we'll see. But you know, you you talked about Columbus. Go up and down Columbus's depth chart. Not a bad hockey team. No. Do I do I expect the Blackhawks to continue at this pace? No. But by the same token. That kid from Finland has been, and I'll tell you another thing, Curves. You, you have the depth charts. Number 12 for Chicago. Oh, Debrinket. Uh, oh, goodness, that kid's playing some hockey right, hockey right. Well, he Are just, you kidding me? That kid's playing some hockey right now. He's abused the Blues when they've played head-to-head. He's, yeah, he's, I mean, he... But that's the he, whole point he, here, guys. Like, like, that central division is such that you're going to have... Remember, remember when we talked about it in one of the first episodes of this podcast? And we talked about the fact that, and, and we talked about the divisions. And, and, and we said, it might be a benefit for the St. Louis Blues to be in the West. Because you look at Carolina. I mean, there's a chance Carolina could miss. Um, you look at, and that's a team that that had eyes on a deep run in the playoffs, potentially. I mean, there's, there's some things going on in, with, with that division that, when a couple of other teams end up in the mix, Arizona has a belief system with what they just did to the Blues. Let's see what Minnesota does when they come back out of this COVID thing because Minnesota, I don't think people thought that Minnesota with where they were and what they dealt with, uh, you know, thought that they were going to be off to the start. But there's a belief system there. It changes things up. And I think there is just a much greater chance in that central division that you end up upside down than maybe any other division of the four. Curbs, I'm telling you, if, if, if Carolina's in the Final Four, I'm not going to be remotely shocked. That is a talented hockey team. And the kid that they got from Florida, he is working in very, very nicely, very nicely for that team right now. Well, had, John, what you're talking about for, for the, for the uh, Hawks is the cat, Alex Debrinkin, who's, right. who's stepped up his game even more. He was, he was a great player before he uh, opted out of the season or, or – at least opted out of the season up to this point so far, and I don't hear anything about him coming back anytime soon. But you know, you guys have talked about you know the central division and all. That. What about the blue, what about the Honda West division? You know, every team in the Blues division has at least one point in five of the last ten games. Nobody is just is just stinking in this entire division. Anaheim goes into Vegas and shuts them out. Who would have ever thought that? Uh, this is going to be this has been way more of a competitive division than I thought it would be, and now. The team that the Blues are going to play next, the San Jose Sharks. You look at their roster, and you know everybody knows Logan Couture and uh, Logan Couture and Thomas Hurdle and Evander Kane, who scored seventeen of their thirty-eight goals this year. But man, I look up and down their roster. Other than Kevin LeBanc, half of these guys I never even heard of. Yeah, but I think the difference is you look at the Central, and you you can you can see definitely four, maybe five teams being legit contenders down the stretch. I still only see three, maybe two, in the West. Yeah, but look at okay. Compare this though, guys. Go back to like to the Central again. Tampa's number one. Florida's like yep. nine, two, and two, right? 
Okay, then there's Carolina and then Chicago. Okay, so Florida's probably playing a little bit better this year than you thought they would have, although eventual success in Florida because of their coach is not going to surprise any of us, right? But 9-2-2 now, yeah, that's that's a better start to the year than we've had. Then you've got Carolina. But then Chicago jumps into the mix, and as John has admitted, that's not expected. Now, whether they stay there, that remains to be seen. Uh, you know, you still have Dallas, who's played five fewer of the games than some of the others. So I would expect Dallas to pretty easily climb the standings and get over Columbus. But then there's Columbus and Nashville. Guys, if, if, if you asked me, out of those eight teams, like the only one you know for sure, the only one you know for certain was not going to make the playoffs was the Detroit Red Wings. Like you said, right. look at the talent on Nashville. I mean, and, and no, all of a sudden, all of a sudden they can't score. and They're, they're dead last. Now, even if a team like Nashville finishes out of the playoffs, you know they're going to have an impact on some of those top teams. Like that, dude, that no, division no, is nasty. There is no question. That's what I'm saying is it's a much deeper division than the Blues are playing in. Yes. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly that based on play through roughly a third of the season, the Blues are fortunate because with the way that the Blues have played through a 16-game stretch, if they were playing Tampa, Florida, Carolina, God dang it, the Blackhawks. <laughs> God, that pains me to say. <laughs> Dallas, you know, I mean, it could, we, we, we may not be sitting here still talking about how oh, well, the Blues haven't played up to their ability, but we still believe in them. Blues could be, Blues could be in trouble right now in playing in the Central. Bingo. That's, that's exactly right. Well, hey, you know what's going to help you get through the week? This week, guys? Uh, somebody come and shovel my driveway? Uh, that could happen, too. We could we could probably make some calls to get you to help it. That would be a, that'd be a really good one there. Um, so Al Capone, Al Capone, the infamous gangster from Chicago, he put a town in Iowa on the map. And, and it was because of his love of what he called the good stuff. Are you ready for this? So during Prohibition, when there was corn rationing going on, right, he fell in love with a rye whiskey recipe, and it became it was Templeton rye. Now you can still get you can get Templeton rye. Now they don't make. And at one point in time, what he did is he basically created an illegal highway between Chicago and Templeton, Iowa, and that's how he would haul the stuff in. So if you find a bottle of Templeton rye that has the the label and it just says the good stuff. Um, that's what Al Capone called the good stuff. It was it was Al Capone's whiskey. Now you can find every now and then. It's a little harder now, although we ought to get we ought to get the distiller on because there's some great stories here. But at one point in time, like two thirds of the town of Templeton, Iowa, were actually involved in the making of the whiskey, whether it was the bottling, the labeling, the the, the distilling, you name it. Um, and and since obviously, just like most American whiskeys, there it's distilled now in in the the Tennessee, Kentucky area, but. Uh, th- this was Al Capone stuff. So the stuff that you'd normally find on the shelf, and this is, it's my favorite rye out there, guys. Uh, you, It's the four-year. When you see the six-year, grab a bottle of it. It's worth it. It's that much better than the four-year. And every now and then, you'll see one that's got a green, kind of a green stripe on it, and uh, you'll see a bottle called Prohibition Era Recipe. Dude, jump on it. Outstanding. So uh, a little Al Capone history with whiskey and Templeton rye, which is great to obviously drink neat on the rocks or put into anything. But that's that's our bourbon slash whiskey slash scotch of the week. But Templeton rye is just an outstanding one. Well, I, I know this much right now. I was uh, Googling as you were talking, and it's good enough that of all places, NPR talks about the rebirth of rye whiskey and the good stuff. NPR, mind you, if NPR is giving it the stamp of approval, you will found a good. And- I'm telling you, it's 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 a you know you know where the first time I had it, went to dinner at Paul Mano's, and it was on the shelf, and I was sitting at the bar area. We, we were waiting for a table, and Paulie says, "Here, try this one," and and I said, "You want a glass of whiskey?" And he said, and he pours me a glass of Templeton Rye, and he goes, "Chris, I can't keep this one on the shelf." He goes, I've got this other one that's been here a while, this other one that's been here a while, this other one. He goes, I'm on like my fourth bottle of this one. And that's that's who introduced me to Templeton 
uh, to uh, the Templeton Rye. And then there was a a Whiskey in the Winter Fest about five, six years ago. I went to it, and they had the distillers there, and the distillers started telling the story of the town and the history of the brew and stuff like that. So it's it's a good one, though. If you you want to try one out, Templeton Rye is our our flavor of the week. I wonder if that's what Al Capone treated his syphilis with before they invented uh, penicillin, because uh, that's what that guy died of. You know, that's a hard way to go. You know what? I got to tell you something. Uh, having never had syphilis and drinking Templeton Rye, there might be a correlation. <laughs> I might say it works, but this is not, do not take our medical advice on anything. <laughs> now, or, or it does make you wonder, when Geraldo Rivera did the huge uh, let's go into Al Capone's vault thing, how many bottles of Templeton Rye did he drink after it came up empty? Oh, good. Oh, do you, you remember I, that I, show? Do you remember when that was all televised? Time, all time flop, unbelievable. <laughs> One of the all go- time flop, just like the Chicago Blackhawks will be by the end of the uh, season. <laughs> all right, I, I got a barn burner story to end the week, to end the show for you this week. True story, and because it's a true story, I'm going to leave the player's name uh, out of it because this is a level of scratch your head. And so, you know, sometimes you wonder. Yeah, Sometimes you wonder where the disconnect happened in the growth of an individual, whether it be critical thinking or what. Okay, but here's the deal. Uh, there's a former NHL player uh, now that didn't play a lot in the National Hockey League, but did have did have a small cup of coffee. And uh, this player, when he was in junior hockey, um, and, and this is true because the player verified it. Uh, in junior hockey, this player decided that he was going to um, – wanted to skip out on curfew. The coach was pretty upset with the team, and he gave everybody a – yeah, I want you in your billets home, in your place, wherever you're staying by 11 o'clock. I'm going to be calling around and checking on you. Nobody breaks curfew tonight. This guy wanted to go see his girlfriend. So he went over to his girlfriend's house, and, uh, you know, the next morning goes to practice, and the coach is all upset with him, benches him, and, you know, and says, you broke curfew. I told you not to. It's a team rule. You're done for a while. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, well, I tried calling you last night, and you weren't there. He goes, yeah, I was there. He goes, my phone never rang. Guys, this is prior to cell phones, right? Right. This young man, in all of his wit and wisdom, took the cordless phone from – his billet's house over to his girlfriend's house, plugged it in over there, and then wondered why it didn't ring when the coach called him. <laughs> Unbelievable! You can't, you cannot, you cannot fix stupid. You just can't fix stupid. I've never no asked. I, oh, just I know, but you can sure appreciate its level of brilliance, can't you? <laughs> Simplest and stupid is the theme of this show, and there's no cure for either one of them. Well, and he he probably thought he probably thought to himself. Wow, I've beat the system. I know how to do this. I'm a smart guy. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? But By I, the way, how, how does everybody find out about that story, if I may ask? Did, uh, did the coach rat him out? Yeah, well, obviously the team did, and then the story came out in the locker room one day in the minors and stuff. And we looked at it and said, is that true? He goes, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? Like, okay, so you're a young player. You're a high draft pick. You end up you end up playing, right? And uh, and and like, I, I guess when that's all it is, nothing ever told you to think of how things work. I mean, I guess if you didn't know any better, you think, well, this is my phone. I'm going to take it, go plug it in somewhere. Maybe nobody told you that the the phone number went to a certain. I don't know. I'm trying to understand it, but I can't do it. When my, when my father passed away in 2018, I told the story at his memorial because all three of his wives were there, my mom being number one. Y2 was there, and I, she and I didn't get along when I first met her. I was 10 years old, and he lived out in St. Charles. I lived in South County. So I told the story at his memorial about how the first time I got mad at his wife, Janet, I took the clicker, as it was called back then, the remote control for the TV that took it from 2 to 4 to 5 to 9 to 11 to 30 and then back to 2 because that's all the options we had back in 1979. And I took it, and I sat there, and I switched the channel on it the entire 45-minute ride home to South County, thinking that I was driving her crazy by changing the channels, and she, and she had no idea why the TV was changing channels. <laughs> but you were, but you were, but but you, but you were nine or ten. Yeah, I you know, know you're well, not, you're so. not 18, 16. <laughs> if you had done that story when you were 16, now we're going to still wonder what the hell's happening here. <laughs> Fellas, awesome. Well, we- I, will, I, I will say one thing. Looking far down the road, and there's a lot of hockey to be played. 
But just looking at the last week of the season, the Blues conclude, if memory serves, with two against Vegas. Montreal and Toronto play three times the last week of the season. And Florida and Tampa end the season. You look at some of these playoff matchups, and you look at the teams that are playing the last week. Let me tell you something right now. April is going to be a phenomenal month for the St. Louis Blues with the schedule that they have. But the last week of this season could be absolutely phenomenal yeah, with some of the matchups. John, prior to those two against Vegas, four straight against Minnesota. You want to talk about a team that could both both teams could be in desperate situations? Depending, I mean, wow, wow. So listen, there's going to be one, if not more. How many teams by, by the end of this season? How many teams are going to get roasted on the last day of the year? Holy moly! Especially if they have to go with percentage points of wins, and and a win of somebody that's played fewer games or more games is the one that gives them the percentage points higher to to make the playoffs. Look out, world! Woo. Well, you know, it's it's, it's uh, we have to wrap it up. Maybe for next week, though, the conversation of. Um, I was I was watching a, uh, a sportscast the other night, and someone brought up bringing in a strength of schedule element into this whole equation, which would add another layer that I doubt the NHL would ever get into. But it is worth noting. I mean, God forbid, you know, something happens in April, you know, but what if the Blues wind up playing four fewer games and five of those games that they missed were against Colorado? Well, we're, we're okay. back to we're back to the we're back to the does Ohio State belong in the college football Final Four conversation? You know, with with uh, talk like that. I mean, you can't. I don't think you can go changing the rules that drastically in the middle of the season. I have you know, a problem just, with, with, the, with the winning percentage precedent's been set. You know, I I would just leave it at that. Uh, I, have I, a, still, I have. I a, still contend that uh, Nick Saban, if he ever chose to, could win a Stanley Cup. No, and you might absolutely be right, but I will say this. I have a real problem with a strength of schedule argument, and I'll tell it to you why next week. How's that sound? Very strong. All right. Hey, fellas, have a great week. It's Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Tim Woodburn, John Hadley, Chris Kerber with you. Thanks for tuning in this week. Enjoy your Templeton rye, and we'll tip a glass with you next week on the podcast. See everybody next week. Beautiful stuff, guys. Great work.